Good morning, everyone that's bright and early in the morning, willing to get up to come to the morning meeting. And it's good to see faces that I've met clear across the other side of the country, back in Eugene Pines and Taylor from Abco in California. So I'm just thankful for these things. Um, Sue, do I need two? Okay. I want to quote a very familiar scripture. Psalms 139, 14. I will praise thee. Why do we want to praise God? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't even understand how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. But I praise the Lord this morning that he has revealed to us many things about the, bo the body's working. And we're going to talk about that this morning and through this series. So my talk is called The Throne Room Under Siege. We will be looking today at the physiology of sin. And because we sin, we lose the Holy Spirit. Then part two tomorrow will be the physiology of victory. Because of Christ's victory, we regain access to the Holy Spirit, who alone can give us strength for obedience. And then lastly, on Sunday morning, we'll talk about the physiology. It's actually for the latter rain. And we will look at the purity of the body as the condition for receiving the latter rain. Before I get started into the talk, I want to tell you a little story. Some of you might recognize my little friend Ziggy. Back in 1986, he was awakened in the middle of the night with a bright light shining through his window. Well, he got up, looked at it, and he thought, hmm, what's this out there? And as he peered out his window, he saw a spaceship. Well, Ziggy's not as fearful as some of us creatures, and he got a flashlight, and he decided to go check it out. And out of the window of the spaceship, he found a rope. And he diligently followed it to the end, and he came to a box with, propped up by a stick. And as he shined his light under there, guess what he saw? French fries, hamburgers, and a shake. I saw this little cartoon and I said, I'd like to meet the person who wrote this. They have insight to what is going on in our world. This has been going on for a long time, but we believe we're the last generation. And this is the message that we have for a solemn period. This comes from Great Controversy, page 621. We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our future well-being and also the salvation of others depend upon the course which we now pursue. Our destiny and the destiny of others depends on what we are doing right now. Here's a list of what she says we need to be doing in this solemn period. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. 
when every wind of doctrine is blowing, we need to be anchored in truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I love this because if God is saying we should ask this, does he have an answer? Amen. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer. We need to meditate much upon his word, especially the scenes of the judgment. We should now seek a deep and living experience in the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. Events of vital importance are taking place around us. We are on Satan's enchanted ground. Sleep not, sentinels of God. The foe is lurking near, ready at any moment, should you become lax and drowsy, to spring upon you and make you his prey. That's sobering, isn't it? Great Controversy, page 601. I think I misquoted the page. So we are at the physiology of sin. I'd like to bow for a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, we do believe that we are at the end of time. We believe that you want us to be the last generation. We believe you want us to get it right. Man has destroyed the earth. We feel the urgency of the hour. And Father, we're weaker than a hundred years ago. How are we going to get it right? But we're here, Lord, because we want to empty ourselves of self. We want you to come in. We want you to guide us. So please bless our meetings. Lord, we're just feeble. The best we can do is not much. But Lord, we're here because your strength is made perfect in weakness. And we believe that you are able to bring us through every trial and cause us to be victorious. So help us today. Bless my words, Lord. Make them simple. Make them clear. Give us hearts to hear what heaven wants us to know today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So back to Ziggy. What was the extraterrestrial visitors, what was their plan? <laughs> yes. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. We have heard it said, and is it true? It is true. So is there truly a link between cookies and cognition and our conversion? Can it truly be that what we put into this being is going to affect where we end up for eternity? Ziggy's just a cartoon, but the message is true, isn't it? The most dangerous war ever fought is, being take, is taking place today. And what is the battlefield? The battlefield is our minds. Everything that is happening in our world today is to affect our mind, either for eternity with God or for eternal loss. The enemy is on an all-outright war to destroy our body, to destroy our brain. Let's look at the brain. 
This is a very basic, brief anatomy course. It's not in depth. Many of you probably know this and maybe even more than what I'm going to tell you. But our brain is made up of several different lobes. We have our frontal lobe right here in front. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? That is where our thought processes and our decision process takes place. Then on the um, be right behind the frontal lobe, we have the parietal lobe, and that is our perception integration of the senses, that the input from the senses, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, what you feel. So the parietal um, integrates all that information. Then here on the temporal lobes, you recall these are temples because or the temporal lobes right next to our temples. It has to do with processing the senses that come in. It has a, play, a part in language, a, a part in emotion, as well as memory, although it's not the biggest part of it. And then right in the very back of the brain is your occipital lobe, which has to do with your vision. Deep within these lobes is a um, combination of tissues that we call the limbic system. As we look at the limbic system, here we've got the outer portion that made up our, um, the lobes that I told you about. And deep in that tissue is the limbic system. It's made up of multiple brain structures that all function together to have an emotion that has a part to play in your emotions. It is also where you have motivation to get up and go. If your limbic system is impacted in a negative way, you don't even want to get out of bed. When your limbic system's working good, you've got drive, you said, okay, let's go, let's work for the Lord. It is also the center of your biological drives. We'll talk a little bit more about that um, in the next slide. This is the most powerful place for your memory making, especially as it is linked to our emotions and any physical sensation connected to the nucleus accumbens, right here in front of it is a small piece of tissue, smaller than the tip of my little finger. It's um, called the pleasure center, the nucleus accumbens. Now let's, we've looked at a global part of the brain. Let's break it down into one single neuron. And you've got the body here with the nucleus inside, and coming off of it, it looks like a bunch of little antlers are called the dendrites. And that's where nerves make connection to uh, the other nerves. Then you have a long tail coming off. It's called the axon, and it's covered with a myelin sheath. It's like the insulation. When you look at an electrical cord, you've got the, um, the rubber around it to protect it. And that's what the myelin sheath does, so that you get a nice, even flow of an electrical current. We are an electrical being. Everything depends on the flow of electricity. Then at the end, you've got something very similar to up here with the dendrites. You've got these little endings. And at each connective space, the nerves do not actually touch together. There's a space. It's called a synaptic junction. There's a little knob on the end of this, and when a French scientist first saw it under a microscope, he said, oh, they, these look like buttons, or in French, boutons. So they are also called boutons. 
what this scientist discovered that every time the nerve fired, the axon would develop in size as well as these buttons. So something that you do repetitively over and over again develops the pathway and strengthens them so they get bigger and bigger, larger and larger. As, the, um, pro as this process happens and the boutons grow in size, it actually requires less electrical flow to go down that pathway. It's just like pr probably every one of you walked on the asphalt on the main road to get here. You don't go cross country, you know, if you're going through the woods, you, you will take a path instead of trying to go through the jungle. So the brain does the same thing. It's going to go down the path of least resistance. Also involved in the brain is chemicals that send the electrical fire. They're called neurotransmitters. They're brain hormones. There's over a hundred of them um, discovered. A few of the common ones are serotonin and dopamine. We know those have a lot to do with our moods. The serotonin gives you a sense of well-being. Dopamine is greatly associated with your pleasure. And when I mentioned the nucleus accumbens, the pleasure center, what they know is that there's a large amount of dopamine released when the, the nucleus accumbens is stimulated. Then acetylcholine, GABA, you've got um, proteins, glutamate, and aspartate. Basically, you've got um, hormones that are excitatory. They are like the gas pedal. They make the nerve fire, but you also need a break. So you've got things that are inhibitory so that you put on the brakes and say, no, I better not do that. So we put it all together and we have what's called the central nervous system, that's up here in the brain, and then the peripheral nervous system where the long nerves coming out of the brain then connect to every part of the body, to your eyes, to the tip of your tongue, to the tip of your toes, and guess what else it's connected to? To your stomach! <laughs> It is true. There is a direct link from your stomach to your brain. Let's go back and look at the hypothalamus, the part of the limbic system that is responsible for your temperature regulation. It is responsible for your animal drives or survival instincts, which include hunger. So when we think of survival instincts, animal drives, these are the things that you have to do in order to keep living. So initiated in the hypothalamus is the desire to eat. You also need to drink to survive, so your thirst center is there. The need to procreate. We would not exist if there was no mating, so that is in the hypothalamus. We also have a need for protection, for shelter. We have a need for freedom of movement, and we have a need for avoiding pain. All of these are just something that are what you could call instincts. Now let's go back and talk about the nucleus accumbens um, and its discovery back in the 1950s. There were two scientists that thought that if they stimulated the nucleus accumbens, it would irritate this area and cause um, a cessation, cessation of the activity. So what they did is they placed electrodes in the tissue, the nucleus accumbens of rats, and 
they had a paddle in the cage that every time the rat would step on the paddle, they would get a stimulation of the nucleus accumbens. What they found was the opposite of what they expected. Every time the rat touched the paddle and received that stimulus, it wasn't a negative thing, it was a positive thing. What they found is that there's a huge release of dopamine, the, the hormone that makes you feel pleasure. And we all want to feel pleasure. Would you rather be cooking in 120 degrees or on the beach of Hawaii at 70 and have that ocean breeze? You know, we want pleasure. We want things that are easier. So they discovered the nucleus accumbens, the dopamine, and the addiction cycle. These rats were, became so, um, what do I want to say? Every time, you know, they got this pleasure, they got addicted. That's, what I, that's the bottom line. To the point that all they wanted to do was touch the paddle to exhaustion. They neglected to eat and to drink and died of exhaustion. So there, there's my stimulation. Okay, now let's look at the frontal lobe. This is one of the most important parts of the brain. It is considered the higher power. The hypothalamus is what you have to do to survive, but the decision process, how you live your life, where your character is developed, is right here in the frontal lobe. It is, scientists have found that it is the seat of judgment. It is where you have your reasoning powers, and it is your, the source of your intellect, where you take all the facts in as you're going to school, two plus two and five times five. All these things come in, and they go into your frontal lobe, and you make decisions based on this. They've also found that it is the seat of spirituality. We have a drive, a desire to worship. This worship center is in the frontal lobe. It is also the seat of morality, whether you want to do what's right or wrong. And that makes sense because as you look at it as the seat of judgment and reason and intellect, you weigh out, is this the right thing to do? Is this the wrong thing to do? And the biggest thing is it is the seat of your will. And what is the will? It's the force of your deci deciding power, correct? This is what I'm going to do. As we look at it, when you have this setup, I believe that the frontal lobe is the residing tissue, the the place that should control the whole body. It is the throne room of our being. But if you have a throne, who's the king? The king is the will. The king is the one who says what's going to happen. And in the frontal lobe, that is the will. But all leaders have advisors. So what, how is the will going to say what you do or not? It's going to take in all this information from its advisors. Who are our advisors? Where does that come from? What affects the will? Well, I have a brief list here. Experience. 
You know, if you touch a hot plate and it burns you and it doesn't feel good, your next experience is going to say, I'm not going to touch that. You have peers, the knowledge that you take in, what you study, the habits that you um, develop through a lifetime, your environment, and that all boils down to God and his angels are going to have one part or Satan and his evil angels. These are things that are going to influence your, um, your will to make a certain decision. So let me ask you this question. What's the difference between the brain and the mind? The mind is a function of the brain. The brain is the anatomy. It's the tissue. It's like, okay, what's this right here? It's my nose. Okay, well, what does it do? It smells. So you've got the brain, but the mind is the function. Very good. Our human brain has higher powers than an animal brain. God made us that way. We can develop intellectually greater than an animal for the most part. Sometimes that's debatable, isn't it? <laughs> but we can reason. Can animals reason? Yes. But God gave us a mind that can reason far greater than any of the other creatures. We have vision to say, this is what I want to do. If I do this, if we build a school here, if we have a Christian school in this community, we can influence our whole area and develop people that learn about God. We have imagination and creativity, but the two greatest functions that is above an animal that we have as a human being is our ability to worship a creator without just doing it because. And in order to worship on the basis of love, we have to have freedom of choice. And that is what God gave us as the greatest power of the brain. Let me ask if anyone knows what the most expensive vehicle in the world is. Sue, it's, it's clicking. She's thinking. <laughs> well, we're going to move on because everybody wants breakfast. It's the Veyron Bugatti. And this year it hit $2 million. So what's so special about it? Well, it goes 60 miles per hour in 2.5 seconds. It does a quarter of a mile in 10.5 seconds and reaches the top speed of 252 miles per hour in just 55 seconds. It's worth every bit of $2 million, isn't it? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. What is the most expensive vehicle in the universe? Our bodies, our being. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you realize that you're of more value than an unfallen angel? Why? Because Christ's blood was spent for us, not for an unfallen angel. God's regard for us is greater for us who are struggling with sin and fallen into the depths of sin than an angel that has worshipped before his feet and never chose to disobey. Isn't that incredible? That is so incredible. 
Well, back to the Veyron Bugatti. Do you think that the owner is going to really take care of that vehicle? He's going to follow the manual. He's probably going to have a garage that's more expensive than any house that I ever live in. He's going to take perfect care of it because it's so expensive. He's going to follow the owner's manual. Well, what about us? Are we going to follow the owner's manual? I venture to say that most of us take better care of our vehicles, even if it's not a Veyron Bugatti, than we do our bodies. We take for granted that we are so fearfully and wonderfully made because whatever we put in the mouth just kind of tends to take care of itself, right? You know, the body's going to chew it up and take the nutrients out and make us work. And we don't really pay attention to what is breaking down or building up this body. But in the Bible is a perfect manual for how to care for our bodies. Now we're told in Revelation 12 that there was a war in heaven and Satan was cast out and brought down to this earth and is especially making war with the remnant of God's seed. So the battle that he began in Eden is continuing here on this earth and it is now for the mind of man. He conquered the mind of angels and his war was to conquer the mind of humans. Why would the mind be the battlefield? Why is that the target that he's after? Let's look at the sanctuary pattern. When we see what God had laid out for us as Seventh-day Adventists, we um, have studied deeply into the sanctuary message in the um, Old Testament particularly and how it applies in the New Testament. And if we look at the earthly tabernacle of God, we know that it was patterned after the heavenly. We know that it was filled with the Shekinah glory. The, whole, the presence of God came down and dwelt in this tent made of cloth. We had Moses, we had Solomon's, we have Herod's. But what was the first temple? What was it? The first temple was in Eden. And what was the temple? It was a pattern of the original. And God said, let us make man in our image. That was the initial. It was patterned after the heavenly. And then he, after he formed man of the dust, he breathed into him the breath of life. He breathed into man his presence. He didn't even, we didn't even need to wear clothes because we were filled with the glory of God. So Adam was the first temple made after the original temple, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we read that in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. This is like the three angels' message. You know, what a solemn warning. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy which temple ye are. So as we look at the pattern of the earthly um, man-built temple, we know that there was an outer court. 
and the holy place, and we're not going to go into this in detail. What I want to look at is the most holy place. And we know that the Ark of the Covenant was there, the mercy seat, which contained the law of God. So if we look at the most holy place, it was the seat of the law, it was where judgment was done, and it established the authority. The presence of God was there. It was the place of atonement, and decisions were made there. The priest, the high priest, had the breastplate on and with that had the Urim and Thummim, and as he would go in and look for a decision, one side or the other would light up. So as we compare that to man as the temple, what is the seat of the law, where the intellect is, of judgment and reason, of spirituality, morality, and the will, where the deciding factors are? Where is it? It's in the frontal lobe. This is why I believe that the frontal lobe is the throne room, the presiding place that God wants to commune with us. So the significance of it in a broad picture we see in Revelation 14, 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Sion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads, which is their frontal lobe, the throne room. But there's another group of people at the end time. In Revelation, we see that they have something written in their foreheads, but it is not the name of the Father, it is the name of the beast power, the enemy to God. It is Satan's name, character written in the forehead. Character development determines our destiny. So, if you are going to try to gain control of this brain, the frontal lobe, how are you going to do it? We're told in Matthew 12, 29, Jesus said, Can anyone enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? So who's the strong man that needs to be bound? It's the will. That is the target. That is the target. So how do you capture the will? Here's a little drawing of the difference between the functions of the brain, the consciousness and the subconscious, our unconscious mind. In the, unco in the conscious mind, that's where you have planning, critical thinking, short-term memory. I want to take this willpower and really take it out. It's not um, just part of the consciousness. The unconscious and the, sub and the consciousness control or affect the will. So you have critical thinking, short-term memory, and judgments. In the unconscious mind, you have habits and patterns, automatic body functions, cellular memory, creativity, emotions, protection, and long-term memory. So those are the things that influence the will. How much of the conscious mind is active at any point? Well. The most generous estimation is the consciousness is about 10% of your brain function, leaving the subconscious at 90%. So if this inner part, this blue part, is the subconscious, the consciousness is only about one of those little bullets there. 
That's how little we are aware of what's going on at any moment. The subconscious mind is an incredible part of the brain. It does not judge what you tell it. It only takes all information as true. It cannot tell the difference between true or false. It works 24 hours a day. It takes everything that goes into it as literal. It never says no. It only recognizes the presence, present. And it can be seen as the source of night dreams and automatic thoughts. It is a repository for every thought, every visual, every emotion, every incident that has ever occurred in your lifetime. That's a little bit unnerving, isn't it? Everything that you see, even when you're driving down the freeway and you don't see that um, billboard on the side that's advertising something that you don't want to have anything to do with, even if there's some little picture in that billboard that your conscious mind doesn't pick up. It's registered in your subconscious. When I was in residency, we had a, a medical doctor come from a Texas University presenting the effect of the media on children. This was in a secular setting, and this man said everything a child sees and hears on television is accepted as true. I believe that every adult has things that they see on television as it goes into the brain and is accepted as true. That is why when you have a political campaign, slander is a big part of it because they know that even if eventually you don't believe what they say, it's into your subconscious and it is going to mar what you think about that candidate. So what is, where does that put us as Christians when we gossip? or criticize other people. That was Satan's tactic. As he went around to the angels, he started undermining God. What do we do when we undermine each other? Okay, so we want to look at capturing the will. Let's put this chart in this form of what we were looking at with the higher powers of the frontal lobe and the lower powers of the limbic system we can see that consciousness is um, that under the conscious brain, planning is from the frontal lobe, critical thinking is from the frontal lobe, short-term memory is the frontal lobe, judgments the frontal lobe, decisions is the frontal lobe. Okay, let's look at the subconscious mind. Where is that taking place? The limbic system. Emotions and feelings, the limbic system. Automatic body functions, the limbic system. Protection and pleasure, the limbic system. So if you want to capture the will, what are you going to target? Are you going to target the consciousness where you're doing critical thinking? Are you going to want to target the subconscious where you're acting from desire, from animal drives? It would make sense that you want to go after the, the subconscious mind. How is that done? It is done through hypnosis. Now we think that hypnosis is when you're kind of in a trance, but it is actually an awake state. The physical body is relaxed. The conscious mind is subdued. 
the subconscious mind is heightened and becomes open to suggestion. Suggestions are then given, suggestions then given are accepted as being true and affect the beliefs, the habits, the perceptions, and the behaviors. So what exactly is hypnosis? It is a tool, this is, comes right off a hypnotherapist site, it said it is a tool to rid us of inhibitions or behaviors that may be holding us back in life. All those ridiculous religious doctrines that your parents taught you are holding you back from becoming who you need to be. A hypnotherapist cannot make us do or say anything outside of our belief system or without our participation and agreement. Do you think that's true? If you're hypnotized, do you think that the therapist is, can make you do something you don't want to do? That's kind of what I always thought. When I read this, I thought, that's not true, because the hypnotherapist took control. This is true. What a hypnotherapist does is get you to um, work on your own belief system and to believe what they're saying so that you make the choice to do what they suggest. Remember what I said about the subconscious, that it accepts everything as true? So you're sitting there, whoever you've gone, through, gone to, you've given them your confidence. You listen to what they say. Now, hypno hypnotherapists use this as a good thing. It's not just a bad thing. I had a friend that couldn't stop smoking pot. Years and years and years he tried. He finally went to a hypnotherapist. The man wanted to stop, but he didn't have strength of will. So the hypnotherapist was then given the confidence to take control of this man's mind. And so then he took over suggesting this is what you want to do. So the hypnotherapist cannot do anything unless you give him permission. So what about Satan? He's the master hypnotherapist. Can he ever force us to sin? The tempter can never compel us to do evil. He cannot control our minds unless they are yielded to his control. Every hypnotherapist today has a master teacher. Does Satan help you do good things sometimes? Oh yes, probably more than not, because then you begin to trust him more. The will must consent. Faith must let go its hold upon Christ before Satan can exercise his power upon us. That's from Desire of Ages. So here's what hypno hypnosis does. It dims the frontal lobe and heightens the limbic system. So how do you bypass, bypass the conscious mind? You becloud the mind, you benumb the mind, or you distract the mind. And I just put this out there tomorrow afternoon. We'll talk about this a little more in detail. This really, you could spend hours talking about 
how Satan is targeting the mind and what he is doing in our world today. And we'll talk a little bit about it in um, the afternoon session. But I want to put this out. If you have Ellen White CD-ROM, type in Be Cloud, Be Numb, and Distract, and see what you come up with. The things that be cloud, be numb our mind. So when we look at man in Eden, and the way that God formed him, the way that his brain was in perfect condition, we're told that his affections were pure, his appetites and passions were under the control of reason. So what does that mean as far as the anatomy of the brain? His affections in the limbic system, his appetites and passions in the limbic system were under the control of reason, the frontal lobe. What was in charge? the frontal lobe. The first great moral lesson given Adam was that of self-denial. The animal drive was there. God made it. But it was under the control of reason. The reins of self-government were placed in his hand. God did not say, make him a robot. He said, you govern yourself. Judgment, reason, and conscience What's that? The frontal lobe were to bear sway. But the way to a man's heart. So what did God set up? Appetite. It was truly just who's going to be your main advisor. But the test that God gave was over appetite. Of the tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So God set down the law. He told Adam and Eve very clearly, you can eat everything here in the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Register that in your frontal lobe. Here's everything. You can eat this, but see that tree right there. As soon as you eat that, you're going to die. God gave the law but he gave freedom. There was another tree. You have a choice of which one, what you're going to do, either to obey or disobey. But obedience was the link to development of perfect character. Adam was not made with a perfect character. He was made with a pure character. It was not defiled. But it wasn't until he obeyed that character was formed. So true love and true happiness is based upon following these principles. Here's what happened. Satan exercised his power of hypnotism over Adam and Eve. This story is well laid out in the story of redemption. I invite you after this lecture sometime, maybe when you go home, because I know this weekend's going to be busy, but read the story. It tells you exactly what happened to Eve as she ventured away from Adam. And at first she was alarmed. Oh, I was warned not to leave Adam's side. And then her thought was, I'm wise enough. I don't need him. She chose to go against God's counsel. And as she stepped into the arena of the tree of 
knowledge of good and evil. She was on Satan's enchanted ground. He was going after her senses. To do what? To downplay the frontal lobe and to arouse the subconscious, the limbic system, the emotional center, the pleasure center. So Satan said to the woman, Hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He didn't come right out and go to the limbic, to the limbic system. He first went to what was in the frontal lobe, the conscious mind. Here's the law. So let's talk about the law. God said you shouldn't eat, you may, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And so she started reasoning. Why did she even start reasoning? Because she was taken off guard that this was the enemy. Here was this dazzling, beautiful creature. It appealed to her senses, to her mind. So just by the effect of the serpent and speaking through it, Satan was already working to heighten the limbic system. So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So she says, no, here's what the law is. So see, he's, he's going right into the frontal lobe to say, okay, what is this law? And the serpent said, you shall not surely die. You see, he's downplaying the conscious mind, downplaying the law. For God knows that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I have this picture up here because in Revelation 14, where it talks about God's people, they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. In their mouth is found no guile. The original word for that is fish bait. They don't take the bait. Satan was holding out the bait. Now just remember this picture because the fish is falling in love with the bait. <laughs> there are principles of making a sale that are just based on human nature. The first one is whatever you fall in love with, you have to be willing to pay the seller's price. Three yeses equals a sale. I have a friend that I lived with back in um, Alabama, and her father was a master salesman. He was one of the top businessmen in Columbus, Georgia. And she learned these principles. Three yeses equals a sale. This is where I got this. She went to buy a new truck. She had in her mind what she wanted. And the salesman came up to her and said, so, can I help you today? She said, well, yeah, I'm looking for a truck. Okay, well, what do you want? Well, I want an extra cab. I prefer this color, and I want everything automatic. Automatic windows, automatic brakes. And he said, oh, okay. So he took her to a truck. Well, what, what do you think about this? You know, it's got the extra cab. Is it the color you like? And he started trying to get her to say, oh, yes, this is just what I want. She found the truck she wanted. And he said, do you like it? And she goes, oh, it's all right. She left, the, she left the parking lot, and she came home, and she told me, that's exactly what I want. She said, but if I let him know, then I will not be able to bargain with him. I will have to pay his price. And she told him, she said, I know what you're doing. He said, what do you mean? 
She says, you're trying to get me to say three yeses. And he said, how'd you know that? And so she told him, it's exactly what they do. Three yeses equal a sale. So is that what Satan did? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, aha, wow, this is good. It looks as good as the trees that God said I could eat of. It was pleasant for the eyes. Ah, look at it. It's beautiful. And desired to make one wise. What did she do? She took of the fruit thereof, did eat it, and she became the next salesperson. Went to her husband and said, look. And in Story of Redemption, it says that when she ate that fruit, she felt a sense of exhilaration. What was tickled? The nucleus accumbens. And dopamine was released. Sin is pleasurable at first. We become addicted because of the nucleus accumbens being stimulated and the pleasure associated with it. Here's what we're told that happened. They were informed that they would have to lose their Eden home. By their transgression, they had opened a way for Satan to gain access to them more readily. They entreated to be permitted to remain. They promised that they would in the future yield to God. Implicit obedience. I won't do it again. They had lost their robe. They felt the chill. They started to blame each other. I don't want to live like this. I won't do it again. All I did was eat the wrong fruit. Please, I, I can do better next time. They were informed that in their fall from innocence to guilt, they gained no strength but great weakness. They had, had, they had not preserved their integrity while they were in a state of holy, happy innocence, and they would have far less strength to remain true and loyal in a state of conscious guilt. So, in conclusion, we're going to finish, um, pick this back up tomorrow, but let's go review what we've done today and then go to breakfast. Okay, where's the throne room? The frontal lobe. Who's the king? The will. Where's the most holy place? The frontal lobe. It's the place of the presence of God. And what's the nucleus accumbens? It's part of the limbic system associated with pleasure. It is the addictive center of the being. Does God want us to have pleasure? Yes, but under the control of the frontal lobe. Yes, the higher powers, the reason center, the law of God. Amen. So we talked about the limbic system. We just reviewed it. The consciousness, where is the conscious part of the brain? Your frontal lobe. The subconscious part of the brain? The limbic system, your emotions, your pleasure, your animal drives. When you look at the world today, what are we living under? The animal drives. And how is the will captured and taken in control by the subconscious being through hypnosis every time and once you become hypnotized do you gain strength or weakness 
weakness. So that's going to conclude our talk for today. Tomorrow we're going to go into the physiology of victory. We came under weakness, defeat. How do we get it back? Let's close for prayer. Let's, let's kneel where possible. Father in heaven, we don't even know how strong Adam and Eve were. We, we just see our weakness. We have no idea how far we've fallen, but in each one of us we realize the weakness that we have. We long to do what's right. We plead and make pledges that we will reform. Lord, we give evidence every day that our spirit is still not right. The divine character is lost in our being. Lord, we long to be transformed. Please, Lord, work in us with that grace that was purchased at Calvary. And help us, even in this small way as we just took a, a small glimpse at the way the brain functions and how sin affects us. Help us to be more aware of the enemy's design to attack our subconscious, to cause us to go after our flesh, after our human passions, and to plant the law of God in our frontal lobe and to have that desire that we would rather die, we'd rather deny ourselves than to disobey you. Please, please, Lord, come back. Give us your spirit. Get us ready for heaven. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.